This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Live during Alumni Weekend on the historic campus of the University of Pennsylvania, this is a special reunion radio edition of Knowledge at Wharton. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And welcome back. Hour number two on Reunion Radio on this Friday, coming to you from the University of Pennsylvania, graduation weekend, also alumni weekend. Very, very busy around this campus here right now with all the uh, graduates in their robes walking up and down campus, taking pictures of those final hours on campus before heading out uh, to whatever job they are uh, going to be uh, taking on after their graduation. It's a fun time here uh, at the University of Pennsylvania campus. We are with you here today talking with uh, alumni and in some cases soon to be alumni. True. Here uh, on the uh, on our reunion radio special, we'll also be with you tomorrow, a special Saturday edition of our show at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, talking with other alumni who have made their way back for reunion weekend. Coming up here in the second hour, in just a minute, we will have our number of the day, which involves Game of Thrones. For you people that watch it, I am not one. So I don't have to worry about being impacted by this number of the day. But nonetheless, it is a fun one. We'll talk to you about it in just a second. And then we'll continue our Reunion Radio special talking with a soon-to-be Wharton uh, MBA graduate who recently just sold his company. He had this up and running while he was going to school here at Wharton. We'll talk with him in just a second. And then in our final 30, we talk about the consumer side of healthcare with United Healthcare's Chief Consumer Officer, Rebecca Madsen. All of that in the second hour of our show. The way for you to join in is either by phone at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. First, though, that number of the day, and our number of the day today, $3.3 billion. And it does involve Game of Thrones because that is the estimate by the Workforce Institute at Kronos of the lost productivity there will be in the American workforce on the Monday after the season finale of Game of Thrones. There is an estimated 10.7 million Americans, not who will watch the show, but who will skip work the next day after the finale airs on Sunday night. Some employees may not show up. Water cooler discussions obviously will be in place There are far costlier workplace diversions, though, than Game of Thrones, although this is a significant one to take note. The Super Bowl, Super Bowl Monday, earlier this year, saw $4.4 billion worth of lost productivity. The testimony by Michael Cohen in front of the House Committee, $3.8 billion worth of lost work productivity. March Madness, no surprise, one of the biggest ones, $13.3 billion, but the biggest one, and probably not a surprise to a lot of people, online holiday shopping, $35.4 billion worth of lost productivity. That being said, for a TV show to have this much lost productivity for the day after the finale makes a statement about how popular this show actually has been. $3.3 billion worth of lost productivity the day after the Game of Thrones series finale. 
The interest around investing and investing information has surged in the last decade, thanks in part to the financial crisis, but also as well to easier access on the Internet. The fact that we have a variety of networks that broadcast daily from the New York Stock Exchange shows the importance of this service for investors. Just as important and maybe more accessible at times is the online resource of websites and newsletters that give insight on stocks, bonds, the markets, and more. Nicholas Martel is just finishing up his MBA here at Wharton. He was also the co-founder and co-CEO of Market Snacks, which was an email newsletter and media company that has the goal of making all of this Wall Street news clearer and more entertaining for millennials. That company, by the way, was just purchased a few weeks ago by Robinhood, a no-fee stock trading startup who has since rebranding it as Robinhood Snacks. It's a pleasure to join me, uh, have uh, Nick joining us here in the studio. Nice Thanks, to meet Dave. you. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Uh, feeling a little angst, a little energy, I getting know. ready for graduation. This is crazy. I can see everyone walking by in the robes outside. I've got mine at home. I just ironed it. You didn't bring it in, though. I didn't bring it in. I thought I'd go more casual with Okay. You. All right. Uh, give us first the idea of how you got started with Market Snacks in the first place. Absolutely. So my co-founder and I were actually undergrad roommates freshman year. Good friends walked in. We noticed we had like the same protein shakes on the first day. Immediately <laughs> hit it off. Relationship bloomed from there. Uh, after school, we were both working at banks and quickly realized there was this need for business news that would just speak in the language that we were talking in, that would okay. make business news, financial news accessible to everyone. So we got together, decided to start a company, called it Market Snacks, and from that day forward, without missing a day since, have covered market action by highlighting the three key stories you got to know every day and curating the ones you want to know that are kind of missed, that millennials care about, brands they want to know about, but they're not covered in the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg. I would imagine that that for people that are within the business of Wall Street, yeah. that the understanding of, of the communication of, of the verbiage yeah. is very simple. But right. for the majority of the public, it is not. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of make that turn and taking this, you know, this industry centric I- information and putting it in a more palatable taste is probably a key ingredient. Exactly. You have media companies out there that are doing a great job of speaking in the financial language, using the jargon like, you know, earnings reports, jargon, stuff from the financial reports. What we wanted to get into is the core of what's happening with companies we actually care about. So, for example, what we would do is take a story on, you know, Lululemon missing out on a yoga trend and how that affected their quarterly earnings. That would be buried in the Wall Street Journal. We would highlight that in Mm -hmm. our daily newsletter. And that's when we started saying, you know what, if we can pair the daily market moving stories like what's happening with Apple with those curated stories that are really relevant to our generation, that's a powerful daily source Mm -hmm. of information that can scale. And that's what we saw quickly as we started gaining traction with the newsletter. How important then do you believe the needs of the consumer are in terms of picking those stories mm-hmm. that that you really want to focus on? Oh, it's it's critical that we understand our audience. And this is something Jack and I talk about all the time, is we have to be really closely in touch with who was digesting our material. And we found that that's what led to this really engaged audience. We would be doing surveys, connecting with people, reading the newsletter, studying media. And, and over time, what we found was People really do want to know these business news stories, and they should know them because it helps their daily life. It's a question of if they're accessing or not. Mm -hmm. So for us, getting the daily newsletter out there, that was just the start. We could get into people's inboxes, tell them you know, what was happening with Chipotle stock when many of them didn't know you could even own Chipotle stock. They thought you could just buy the burritos. So it was getting (laughs) that information out there, doing it in a voice they could connect with. 
and making it accessible. That really saw us take off. So then you have this company up and running. Yeah. And then Robinhood approaches you and and sees obviously a need where they can tie in with what they're doing as yeah. as, as a no fee you know, trading startup. Oh, this was the most wonderful connection that we can make. And, you know, Jack and I ended up both going into business school in a unique situation. We came into business school with a fully monetized media company. We did a round of financing while we were in business school. We launched a daily podcast. We were really building out our business plan. And when you're a media company, the first thought you think of when it comes to exits is, you know, another media company acquiring you. You see those roll-ups in the industry all the time. Sure, yeah. With Robinhood, this was something that was related to a thesis we'd had about tech and media that we'd kind of been developing in business school. And we saw that play out because here was a tech company with really strong growth, really strong engagement that wanted to really teach people about making business news accessible because you have to have accessible business news if you're going to democratize markets. And that's what Robinhood is all about. So for us... The fact that we can make business news accessible paired perfectly with mm. the mission that Robinhood's been building. Who are the who who are the 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 most logical or what's the most logical demographic for you? Oh, for us, it's this under thirty six audience. But uniquely, and this is what we loved at Market Snacks and now with Robinhood Snacks, is it's not just young financial people. What we found with our content is it's relating to men and women fairly evenly, which is unique in the business news space. Right. And it's connecting with people who work on Wall Street and want that daily hit of financial news that they can't get in a digestible way elsewhere. But it's also appealing to someone who maybe works at like a marketing firm in Brooklyn and has no connection with the markets, but wants to know about what's going on in business. So the fact that we could straddle that spectrum under the age of 36, speak in the language that we knew we could understand, that was, that's what really made the connection. But it it also hopefully takes away a little bit of a a dynamic that has been in the media as well, Mm -hmm. is that Wall Street is not accessible for some people. Oh, totally. And that's what we were getting at when we started delivering the newsletter and getting the podcast out there is people will reach back out to us and literally say, you know, I had no idea that GoPro, for example, its stock could be moved because of something Amazon's doing in a completely unrelated thing. So it's making these business news connections that, frankly, are around us every day, everywhere, but they're not being spoken to in the language our generation takes it or in the format that we're used to uh, accessing data and information. Funny one that that we actually touched on on the show before was MSG Networks and their stock price this week going down (laughs) because people believe that the company was not as valuable as it was a few days ago because they did not get the number one pick in the NBA draft and they weren't going to get Zion Williamson, which meant potentially higher ratings and potentially higher ad revenue. And those are the stories that – and it's the connection, I think, with the average consumer – that at sometimes gets lost in Wall Street. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, even something like Pinterest reporting earnings for the first time this yeah. past week. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of story where you could see that and say, hey, another tech company is reporting earnings. Or you could jump into that and say, you know what? There's a really interesting angle here with millennial moms, how they're accessing them, how engaged they are. We can pull that information from the earnings report, yeah. put it in a language that our readers are understanding in a way that you know is treating them like they know what they're talking about because we're not talking down to them. And that really makes some magic happen. It, it, it sounds like that it's the telling of the story right. that, that ends up being a crucial 
component for okay. you guys. I love that you just said that. And you know this as a radio person, but yeah. when you're when you're doing audio, for example, you know, we launched a daily podcast, Snacks Daily, last year. Sure. And as it's grown, what we've seen is what drives the engagement is the storytelling. Sure. So yeah. we try to do a couple things on the show. You know, we prepare for every episode really deeply, but the first and foremost thing is we find the key detail, something specific, and we can turn that into a story. LaCroix, for example, the um, sparkling water company, yep. huge following among our demographic. Yeah. What we found with it is when their company, when their parent company reported earnings, there was a fascinating storyline there about how they're now disconnecting with our generation because Coca-Cola and Pepsi have competitors that are replacing them. That's a really exciting storyline that people can relate to, and we love telling that. What about something like what's been going on with Disney and all the streaming companies oh my God. over the last over the last you know two years or so, and and the fact that that Disney now is taking over Hulu? Yeah. You're talking about a story which is going to connect not only with millennials, but it's also going to collect connect, I should say, with their kids because of the the Disney content. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, who like isn't launching a streaming service these yeah, days? It yeah. seems like every cable or media-related company is. Is that the next step for you? Right, launching yeah, your own I, stream for after you, after you guys do it, SiriusXM. Right. Um, you know, that's one of those storylines that we jump into, but it's also about kind of giving the whole playing field. And that's the other thing we've found is really compelling for our audience is, yeah. okay, it's not just one storyline. We like to do a takeaway at the end of everything. What's that one key takeaway? The kind of thing you can bring home, talk to your family about, share at the water cooler. Mm-hmm. And that takeaway, for example, for streaming is, oh, my God, how complex this market has become in terms of who is jumping in. Yeah. And everyone is jumping in because content is king. And if you can own that content, that's a powerful, powerful differentiator. Do you see millennials in general having a concern, worry, hesitancy about Wall Street in general? So this is what I think is so special about the acquisition we just went through. It's that we were coming at this from a completely media-related side. Jack and I saw an opportunity where business news wasn't connecting with our generation. On the Robinhood side, you have an incredibly well-known trading app that is going on to do even more and more things. And they've noticing that, okay, people are engaging with the markets, but let's really give them not just ideas, but comfort and make it so that they can just feel comfortable accessing information. Whether they trade or not, that's a Mm -hmm. separate issue. But just feeling comfortable with information is a powerful thing. So for us, it was that combination of the two that I think is really important for our generation. You know, whether or not you're going to get involved in the markets, that's a personal decision you make based on your financial opinions. And we don't give financial advice at Robinhood Snacks, and we're not giving uh, stock suggestions or recommendations or telling you what to do. What we are giving you is the information just to understand what's going on in the world around you. And then you can use that to say, you know what? Just like you were talking about with Disney, they're getting into the streaming wars. Maybe I should be concerned about Netflix, or maybe this is an opportunity that Netflix is going to double down on. Just knowing that information, understanding it, that's the first step. I think even in this day and age, and now that uh, even the baby boomer generation is obviously much more computer savvy, internet savvy, and, and comfortable with the use of, uh, of smartphones, uh, that this, while millennials may be your target audience, yeah. there will be a benefit for other groups out there as well. Because of the, 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 the story that you're trying to tell. Oh, absolutely. We've seen this incredibly in the engagement across our medium. So I think podcasting is a great example of this, where with the daily newsletter we launched, so Robinhood Snacks, that's going out to a large audience, and they can connect with it because it's written material in their inbox, very intimate every day. Mm-hmm. They can access it. When we launched the daily podcast, Snacks Daily, and that took off, we see a very different kind of engagement. And this yeah. is kind of a cool lesson we learned on media. It's that audio, you really build 
the relationship with the users. You build it Absolutely. with them, right? Like they, yep. you know, you're with them every day. You're in the car with them. Yep. They get to know the jokes about one of you being from Vermont or one of you hating jeans. Yep. You know, they feel like they're a part of it. And we found that that really is cross-generational. But the difference now in this day and age of media is that yeah. because you have the podcasts, you have the ability for the consumption of that media to not just be something coming off of your car radio or in your radio in the home. You've got it on your smartphone when people are on the train coming into Philadelphia or New York or D.C. on their commute. Or exactly. if they're out you know, getting exercise. They, there's, there's so many touch, more touch points that are available out there. Totally. And, and this is a key thing about audio and podcasting that we're seeing as you know, Spotify and others are really jumping into podcasting in particular. It's that podcasts build this relationship with a really interesting audience. So the average age for our podcast listeners at Snacks Daily is a little bit older than our newsletter audience. Mm -hmm. And the thing we found with that is, you know, the people listening to the podcast, they're really listening for two reasons. It's not just the story. They also are looking for that self-betterment angle. Mm -hmm. And podcasts allow you to kind of multitask in a way, whether you're commuting, on the train, just on the way home. So you're bettering your life by listening to something for 10 or ours is 15 minutes long. That's it. You're listening to it. You're bettering your life while you're multitasking. You're super productive while you're hearing a story. And I think it's that combination of the storytelling and the productivity that makes it such a compelling form of media. Is there a, a natural next step in the process for you guys with Snacks? Oh, absolutely. We are thrilled to continue our growth in this. We've seen such deep engagement. For us, it's all about how can we continue to pursue our multimedia strategy. So right. when we, I was at Warden and Jack was at University of Michigan Ross, we were further developing our business plan. We had just gone through a fundraise. We were first-year MBA students. Literally, I would like pop on a train up to New York to do a hit on TV for Market Snacks. Jack would be back in Michigan doing Skype TV interviews for Market Snacks. Then we'd be doing the newsletter at night. Then we started launching the podcast. So we were basically doing full-time work while we were in business school. It was wild. Yeah. While we were doing all that, we really built out a business plan that said, you know what? Our differentiator is going to be delivering digestible news content that we know engages with our audience, but doing it across three different media, TV, video, newsletter, and then audio, right. and capitalizing on that. So now with the resources of Robinhood, really, really powerful, we're really jumping into that. So you're going to see a lot more coming from us than just only a newsletter and only a, a daily podcast. It's going to be much more. So you're you, and you've obviously been able to take advantage of something I said at the top here. Yeah, is the multitude of networks that that are that are covering Wall Street on a, on a daily basis at this point. Oh, totally. We were you know last Friday, very last minute, we jump on a plane from San Francisco, get to New York, and we're able to be on the New York Stock Exchange floor for the Uber IPO. For the Uber, yeah. And for us, you know, there were a lot of networks there, and they're great networks. We've been on some of them. You've got CNBC, you've got Cheddar, you've got Fox Business. They're all on the floor, and it's fantastic. We love that attention on business news. But what we were able to show through our experience, through our interviews, through just getting our audio content from the floor of the exchange, mm -hmm. was we were able to give our listeners a sense of what was happening on the floor that was live in a way that they really weren't connecting with in other places necessarily. Yeah. And I think that's what's been so thrilling about our Robin Hood Snacks product is it's building that connection with people where they can feel like they're a part of business because they are. They're yeah. part of the narrative of business news in a language that they understand, and they're really enjoying it. We make it fun. We're joined in studio by uh, Nick Martell, who's uh, just about to graduate with his MBA here at the at the Wharton School, uh, co-founder and co-CEO of what was Market uh, Snacks, now Robin Hood Snacks. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For you personally, obviously this is a very... 
hectic yeah. time, to say the least, uh, with uh, with graduation and such. And you have Robin Hood snacks. But what else piques your interest as yeah. as areas that you would like to touch on? Oh, well, first of all, this past year, I would say academically, has been an incredible like ride because we've had this support from professors, this support from our peers, uh, from our not only our market snacks readers, but just you know the warden community, Jack's Michigan Ross community. It's been incredible. So mm-hmm. I think over this last year, what's been a fascinating thing is just learning from the people around us has been the key theme. You know, we were going to professors who were advising us on the acquisition process, get out of a negotiations class, and then we jump right into the <laughs> negotiations for the deal. Uh, we were talking with our peers who knew the media and tech industries well and saw what we were, you know, what the potential was here after we launched and yeah. ways we could work with it. So I would say like the theme of the past year has been, honestly, it's been a lot in our plate between graduating and, uh, and running the company and, yeah. and managing the acquisition. But really the theme has been taking the time to reflect, think about this. What are we absorbing? What can we like put into practice on a daily basis from what we're learning and apply it to the company we're, we're building? Between all those professors, you had your own board of directors I with, know. without having to, them to be a board of directors. That's true. Right? They were very generous with their time. What do you, what do you start to say to, to young entrepreneurs yeah. at, at this point, having gone through this experience, not only the startup, but going through the acquisition process as well as kind of the, the key factors that they need to consider? Yeah, there, there are two things we like to say. Jack and I talk about this a lot. You know, We're co-founders, we're best friends, we were co-CEOs, and a lot of people tell you you shouldn't do those things but we found we could make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing we always tell people who are looking to start the company is you've got to take the leap. You've got to actually make it happen. A lot of people spend time just planning, trying to build out the business model. You know, for us, this company started by, frankly, doing it kind of in secret by launching the company anonymously and building it from there as a side hustle. If we had waited to kind of ask permission or had waited to, like, nail down the perfect business plan, we probably would have wasted valuable time. So you just got to kind of get the ball rolling is what mm-hmm. we always tell entrepreneurs. The second thing when someone's going through this acquisition process or an exit we found is this is an emotional roller coaster. This is your baby you're giving up. And for us, we found the perfect place to bring it, which was Robinhood. Um, but that also means you have to be you know, comfortable with, hey, you're giving up something, but you're also gaining a huge opportunity here. In order for us to scale and go to where we wanted to go, this was absolutely the right move. Uh-huh. And that requires you know, taking time, reflecting, looking about what, what you've built, celebrating the wins along the way with your co-founders, you know, really, really taking time to you know, understand the moment and appreciate where you are. Was there an aha moment where you realized either you or Jack yeah. that you were, you had really hit on something and, and that you were, you were really developing something strong? Early on in the process, the number one way you can connect with and figure out what you're doing is when you start getting unsolicited feedback from people, good or bad, because it doesn't matter if it's saying, hey, this is the best newsletter I've read, or hey, this is the worst. The fact that people are willing to take the time to give feedback in any way is an indicator that you're solving a problem. And that's the number one step of starting any business, is if you're not not fixing a problem, it's not going to be able to grow. So for us, it was, you know what, those first tweets we received, the first responses that were both positive and negative feedback, it didn't matter if they were all negative or all positive. What mattered was we were getting feedback, and that's when we knew we had something. Yeah, it also means that they were reading the newsletter, exactly. and they weren't hitting the delete button as exactly. soon as they saw the email come into the into the inbox. Totally. We're joined here by Nick Martell, uh, and I, I think it's interesting to, to see, having been here now for five years, and, and 
seen obviously a lot of students that have come through here and and they have these incredible mindsets and ideas. It is, I think you can say it by a lot of business schools, but it's a unique dynamic here at Wharton to see the numbers of students that come through here and, and have these unique ideas in all sorts of different areas, whether it be retail and healthcare, you, you know, you can just run the gamut oh, totally. of business sectors right now and, and making the connections that, that you make. Yeah. It's, I would say the Warden community has been so powerful uh, going into this. And and this is a really important message I want to share with entrepreneurs, too, which is a lot of times you hear, you know what, you, you, you can either start a business in business school or you cannot go to business school and focus on your business. There's this thought process that for some reason entrepreneurship and business school are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very wrong. You don't have to drop out of business school and you don't have to not go to business school. Jack and I actually use business school as an accelerator for our sure our, our startup yeah. and we found that to be powerful you know we wouldn't have done our first fundraise unless we connected with the venture firm through warden you know we wouldn't have tweaked our business model unless we were both getting out of our strategy classes for business school and applying that in real time to our company we wouldn't have changed our pricing unless jack had gotten out of a pricing class in michigan and immediately said hey we need to rethink this so I think for us, going into business school was a way for us to kick things up a notch in a way that a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, shy away from. And so I found at the Warden community, I mean, the resources, you know, Jack and I were recording our podcast and we're running the company basically out of the San Francisco campus while we were negotiating the deal. I mean, we were so fortunate to have that Warden campus there every day with a supportive team and professors who we could access for advice. So one key message I would have here is, you know, with everything you have going on as an entrepreneur and all the stresses, doesn't mean you should not consider business school. I would actually really suggest it as a, as a key opportunity. What's your expectation now moving forward post-graduation mm-hmm. and, and how much connection do you think you will continue to have with snacks? Yeah. Even moving forward now that it's, it's a part of Robin. Well, this is what's so thrilling about the deal is that we're continuing to do everything we were doing at market snacks, but now with all these incredible resources of the tech company, that is Robinhood. Right. So every day, Jack and I are still on the podcast, running snacks daily, getting our 15 minutes of top digestible business news stories out there. Every day we're putting out the daily newsletter to connect with our readers and tell them the three stories they got to know and want to know. Yeah. So we're, intimately involved with the product because we're still the um, we're still running the snacks product and we're the managing editors of all of news at Robinhood. Right. So for us, it's taking advantage of this incredible opportunity to really run with the news division at Robinhood and give people business news that they can understand and connect. Which with. is important because, because when in many instances, instances, when you hear about one company buying the other. Yeah. You see the executives from the company that gets bought, they're out the door. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and the structure of the company changes itself. That doesn't seem to be the case here. No, I feel like you're referring to like the recent Facebook things we've seen. Might too. Have been. I, <laughs> yeah, throw that out there. Yeah. This is, yeah. I think, a key part of the acquisition process that I would also share with entrepreneurs as they're going through it, which is you want to make sure that it's not just a deal that makes sense in strategy or makes sense on paper. You want to make sure there is a mission alignment there. Sure. And a key step for us when Jack and I were going through the acquisition was we came out to uh, Menlo Park. We met with the co-founders of Robinhood, Vlad and Beju. And these were two guys who, after a quick conversation we learned, had the same founding story as us. College roommates, started a company, lived in the East Village together, just having a great time after college. And when we made that kind of personal connection, then we jumped into, you know, what are the real goals of this business? And we learned about how they had been in New York right after the financial crisis, saw the frustration with the financial industry, were motivated to fix that by democratizing access to finance. Jack and I then start sharing our story. Same thing. 
in New York after the financial crisis see this deep need to connect finance with people, but doing it through media, not through technology. And once we'd kind of made that connection, I think it clicked immediately that this wasn't just something we should do. This is something we had to do, the acquisition. It made so much sense. But that being said, how yeah. important is the financial component to be able to have that that support, you know, that, that yeah. strength behind it? Yeah. Whether it be through advertising, whatever, yeah. you know, moving forward. Well, the great thing we have with this relationship as part of the acquisition is Robinhood is committed to making news accessible just in the same way they're making finance accessible through trading and a lot of other options right. uh, and more to come. So for us, knowing we have those resources and we've already put those resources into action, which is thrilling. Um, you know, for us, it was relaunching the daily podcast, the immediate connection we had with a huge number of users, the Robinhood yeah. audience. Yeah. You know, we saw that off the bat. People People are writing in and saying, hey, I finally understand business news. Hey, I get this. Hey, I have a trading idea now. These are the connections we wanted to make, and we're seeing that live. It's all about those clicks. Exactly. Getting the clicks. Nice meeting you. Good luck. Great to meet you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Nick Martell. Uh, We will take a break. Our final 30 coming up in just a minute. After the break, we will talk uh, the business of health care from the consumer side. We'll do that in just a minute. Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.